0: I am Kyle Chambers and with Texas Quality Assurance. We're a small local uh, quality management company um, here in the Houston area. Our office is in uh, Pearland, and we live in Friendswood, so we're just, you know, right around the corner from here, basically. Um, so, yes, I was uh, invited to speak last month. That went uh, went really well. I had a lot of fun with it, and so very, very pleased to, uh, to be here speaking again this month. So, again, all the <clears throat> recording equipment is because we have a, a podcast. It is, in fact, the only podcast available dedicated to quality and quality management. No one else is doing one. Hopefully, it stays that way. We can, you know, <laughs> keep on top if you're only one. It's easy to do. Um, but, no, we, we have a whole lot of fun with it. So, the, the podcast is just a great way to kind of talk about these things that we all deal with in our kind of everyday lives that most people really um, – don't understand and maybe do an interface with on a on a real regular regular way. Um, so today's topic is yes, the role of systems and the value of habits in a QMS. <clears throat> Which at first doesn't sound terribly interesting, but um, we'll have a little bit of a little bit of fun with it. This is something that uh, is actually kind of a, a big value to, to me in uh, my consultation work. Is you really have to get folks used to doing the same thing, in the same way each time for a lot of uh, a lot of the processes. Doesn't really matter where you're at. Like, uh, you know, a gentleman over here was talking about he was in accounting, finance, and so you go to a weld shop. It's it's the same thing. as we've got certain things that have to be done in a certain manner each time, and so these provide a lot of value in our day to day lives. They save us time. They save us energy, and just make everything make everything run better. So few quotes everyone's probably heard of. I bet most of y'all have read this book. I don't know many professional people that haven't. It's uh, you know kind of like, like the Bible for professionals to about. <coughs> so the seven habits of a highly effective people. So what he goes into here, and I'm not going to give you a full breakdown of the book, just a few quotes <coughs> I really like from it, is he says that we will define a habit because habits are super important as the intersection of knowledge, skills and the last one, desire. You don't really think much about that you don't really form a habit unless it's something you really want to do Um, knowledge is theoretical uh, paradigm the what we do and the why the skill is the how we do it and the desire motivation is the want to do it in order to do something we have to have a habit in our lives you have to have all three when you put on your shirt in the morning what arm do you use? What arm do you put in first? Turn yourself through putting your shirt on in the morning. What arm goes in first? Yeah you, got, yeah. you got a right arm going in first. You got right arm. Right arm. Right arm. A few of you all I'm a left arm. I don't know. I'm weird. Um, <laughs> but you probably do it the same way every single time. Now, realistically, you do it that same way because... That's probably what your mom or dad taught you, (laughs) right? So they told you, you know, put your arm in. No, the other arm. And so you did it, and and now that's what you do later on in life. But we learn these habits, and these habits are really important. Just imagine, seriously, think about this for a minute. You go to get dressed in the morning. It's already a hard enough time to pick out what you're going to wear sometimes. But now you're sitting there debating which arm to put in first, which leg to put in first. Just imagine that you have to actually have that conscious thought every single time. Um, It's going to slow you down. It's going to be a little bit annoying. I know it's a silly example, but as I mentioned last week, I love silly examples. Silly Mm -hmm. examples are easy to understand and easy to remember. So we have to to look at it that way. Here's another one that I really love from the book. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. So you can kind of ponder on that for a minute. then get a game for y'all. we little tie-in, I promise. So you can pass it around, try it, pass it on. Has everyone ever played this game before? It's yeah. called it Tricky Triangle. You, uh... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> triangle. You skip a peg, you pull the peg, you skip. You skip a peg, you pull the peg, you skip. And the goal is that you only have one peg left at the end. But it's, it's very simple, right? I mean, this is a very very simple process, very simple skill. But good luck doing it. So we'll let y'all uh, kind of mess with that a little bit. As uh... <laughs> well, uh, Eli did it the other day. Uh, our middle son, he, he did it. I think it took him like twenty tries, but he finally did it. Um... <laughs> he, probably <didn't. laughs> he probably did. He probably did. He probably did. So, we've all heard, here, I'll, I'm going to, I'll come to that slide real quick. So, we've all heard it takes so many days to form a habit. How many days does it take to form a habit? 30. 21. 21. 21. 21. is what most of us probably heard. <laughs> so, but, you know, we're close. We're close. So, the fact is, everyone quotes this, too. Like, my gosh, everyone. So, um uh, plastic surgeon in the 1950s, he's basically a guy named uh, Maxwell Maltz. He he noticed a a pattern, is if he removed the limb from someone, it'd take them about 21 days to quit feeling the phantom limb, to quit trying to use the arm that was no longer there. If he did reconstructive surgery on their face or something, it took them about 21 days to look in the mirror and be used to seeing themselves. So this kind of anecdotal finding that he hadn't published... Um, has been robbed by the entire self-help and influencer and coaching and business development uh, model. So we got everyone from Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, Tony Robbins. They all get up there and preach. It takes 21 days to form a habit. I even recently did my own little 21-day challenge on uh, LinkedIn where I'd get up at 4.30, have my uh, coffee, do a little Bible study, make my to-do list, one days really is kind of about right but it, the question is really is there is there any science to that so so look at that it's just weird stuff I wonder I just wonder is there any science to this and my wife is cracking up over there she hears this stuff all the time so Dar- this is Darcy I'll just go ahead and embarrass her right now since I did it earlier so I have Darcy so she is technically the host of our podcast um she keeps me from getting too geeky but She's not up here right now, so I'm going to have field day. <laughs> I <can still> stop. <laughs> <coughs> okay. So we all kind of look at 21 days as, uh, as this ideal right answer. But turns out they did a, a big study, and I won't give you a whole lot of details on it. If you want more information, I can email you my sources some other time. But 2009, there's a big study done to figure out how long does it actually take to form? Habit. Fact is, it's all over the place. Depends on what it is. But they actually found that it takes more than two months. Exactly sixty-six days was their was their average. Now, how many of y'all have put a, a new uh, management system in place before, kind of uh, ground up? We've all all done that before, right? The auditor before they come in and audit you, they want what three to four months of records before they show up, generally. Well, there's some logic to that three to four months because what we're saying here is it takes more than two months to even form a habit. So we kind of want another couple of months just to see if people are are doing what they've learned. But this poses a really, really interesting question. If it truly takes two months to form a habit, whereas the 21 days is kind of to get used to something, think about training in your workplace. So we put together a training program We have the big company powwow. We tell everyone, here's how it is. And we give them a procedure. And we tell them, go do your job. And then we wonder why it's not well accepted. And then we wonder why people are still doing it the old way. And we wonder why people are still stashing the old procedure in a toolbox um, and only pull out the new one when the auditor's around. You know, we wonder these things because we as as management, as, as coaches, as leaders, we have just simply assumed that they're gonna take it and run with it now that might be what a lot of us in this room do but that's why we have the we're in the career we have because we like these type things we actually kind of embrace change to some degree i'm gonna bet um most people don't most people absolutely hate the board change in every way you can possibly do it (laughs) so if that's who your target market is in your workplace you got to recognize that new procedure that you put in place, a new policy you put into place, at best, if executed thoroughly, won't be working for two months. You got to wait two months before that sucker is working properly. And that's if you're on top of it and make sure that everyone's executing everything. So that's kind of where I see the, the value in this study. So it takes 21 days, about three to four weeks for folks to kind of accept a change. Takes another month for them to get used to doing it every day. But again, silly examples. Teen drivers are they safer or more dangerous than more experienced drivers? Yeah, teen drivers more, you know, a little, a little more dangerous than more experienced drivers. Why? Why, why is a teen driver not as good as a as a driver that's 40? They're too cautious. It could be. That, that's actually a very good point. They're too cautious. Um, could be that because they don't know what to expect. They don't have those little built-in, you know, uh, memories and built-in protocols to to predict what someone's going to do. So they really have to wait on it. So that's a good one. So, teen drivers. If you look at the numbers again, I got all the sources somewhere else. Teen drivers are twenty percent more likely to be involved in an accident than any other group. I'll be honest. I expected the number to be bigger. I expected the number to be a bigger so I guess that says something for either modern safe road safety or how we train kids to drive, but still, they're 20% more likely to be in an accident. So if you've got a project at work that's 20% more likely to flop, you're probably going to pay special attention to it. But here's what was really interesting to me, is newly licensed teens, that's meaning 16-year-old first-year drivers have a crash rate that's 1.5 times higher than the 18 to 19-year-old teens. So that first year, now that's a whopper. That's a real whopper. So, and here's another one that's fun, is teens allow only one half the distance to the next car from the older drivers. <coughs> so they're not, they don't have those habits formed. When you turn on your blinker in your car, do you, have to think which way's left, is down left, or is up left. Like, you don't think that no more, right? But those, those teen drivers, well, they have to think that. They, they have to think. Everything is a conscious decision. Everything is a conscious decision. And conscious decisions take a lot more effort. It's like the little game you'll pass around right now. You have to plan every single move. It takes a lot more effort. So, if conscious decisions take more time, again, weird questions I ask myself. How much more time does it take? So, how quickly can you actually make a decision? <coughs> like, we've all had things that we sat and pondered on for days or weeks trying to figure out the right thing to do, right? <coughs> that's obviously not very efficient in your day-to-day operations of your business, so, you, you tend to have to rely on those quick decisions you, you're not even aware you made. Which hand you just pick up your fork with. You didn't think about it, you just did it. And you just do it. So, it's really amazing, it truly really is, <coughs> to consider how fast you can make a decision. Decisions are almost always made and acted on in less than 150 milliseconds. So, we're talking about little teensy tiny fractions of a second when something occurs to decide what to do. Again, driving is To me, the perfect example of this, because when the driver in front of you hits the brakes, you're probably gonna hit your brakes within, at least within 150 milliseconds. You'll think after the fact, did I hit my brakes? Um, There are even some things that are built into our uh, systems that we don't even, where we can act even faster. We were talking about snakes earlier. Seems that there are built-in programs within our nervous system For snakes, so unless you're a person that's accustomed to handling snakes. We'll talk about the, not the weird folks over here, the normal folks that are scared (laughs) of them. Um, (laughs) So if you're a normal, normal guy that's scared of a snake, you can actually respond within five milliseconds to the sight of a snake. The fact is, is your body will identify the pattern of a snake and you will jump before you're even consciously aware that you have jumped. I think we talked a little bit last time. This is what gave me the idea to do this uh, this week, is um, Major League Baseball. When they go to hit the ball, it's an incredibly, incredibly short period of time from that pitch to getting to the plate. The fact is is that uh, the batter can only see the ball for less than one-third of its travel. The batter sees what the pitcher's arm did, he sees the release, but he can only actually see the ball for a third of the travel. The rest of the time, his brain's trying to catch up on the data that's processing. And so he has to make that decision of where and how he's going to swing and where he's going to hit before the ball ever is even halfway to the plate. And then this is based off of habits. He has done this, you know, you can have two guys that are in identical physical shape, but one spent 10 years playing baseball, the other one spent 10 years playing football. You you can't switch them. I think uh, people like to make fun of Michael Jordan. He tried to enter baseball after he'd done so well at basketball, and he was a total flop. Why? He might have been an amazing athlete, but he did not have those habits formed to do the job properly. So, yeah, what this means is that generally we take about a tenth of a second to react to to whatever happens, and we can go a lot faster. That's the example here on the bottom is in a sprint. So you take like... um, Uh, any type of competitive uh, competitive sports, Um, say you've got your high school track team, and these are the kids competing for state. When they shout go, they can actually respond within a hundredth of a second. Within one hundredth of a a second of of the, the shot being fired for them to run, they've responded. So we act very, very quickly. And it seems to me that a decision that can be made and made expertly in a hundredth of a second well that has it has value it has a lot of value in the workplace why is it the old-timers in the shops are generally the ones that or you're not always generally your best workers right so you got a guy that's been welding for 40 years as long as he's willing to learn new things he's probably the best guy in your whole shop um on the other hand the the new guy that uh, just got promoted to inspection Probably takes him about two or three times as long to check the work and he misses two or three times as many indications as someone's been doing it for a few years. Because he's having to spend too much conscious effort. So that begs the question here. Why don't we write procedures if it's all about these snap reactions? Why do we have procedures? Consistency. Consistency. Amen. So you get to go reference those procedures, right? Are people generally good at memorizing things? Generally not. Some of us are better than others. I'm definitely not one of them. So we want to have that procedure available to go re-reference. But in a given procedure, or in a given work instruction, how much that um, pertains to, to what someone's doing in that very moment? That's always a big problem, isn't it? Yeah. Because you put in all this all this other stuff that explains why this is important and uh-huh. everything, instead of just like, do this. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, which kind of gets us into a little bit of a contradiction. I'm glad you brought that up. Because you'll hear other folks that say, well, you got to tell people why. If they don't understand the why of what you're doing. They're not going to go do it, which is true. But if you don't have a detail of the what, and you don't have a detail of the how documented and trained on, and practiced on the why does not matter why does not matter at all i mean if you've not taught a kid how to drive it doesn't matter how badly he wants to go to the mall and he's gonna die on his way to get there you have to teach him the how and the what and you gotta practice it you gotta practice it a lot what's the system we talk about quality management systems And I think we all deal a lot in the quality management world. You know, we've got our forms, we've got a checklist, we've got our procedures, we've got our training programs, we've got our policies, we've got our mission statements, right? But what's the S to QMS? What's the system? It's a process. It's a process? It's interconnected processes. What if you do it differently each time? Oh, have consistency. Yeah, know consistency. It, it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't matter. Um, so again, this brings us back to kind of the, the point I, uh, I started with is looking at training. You know, I was on a call this morning where uh, someone was complaining about their training program, that it's so frustrating to them that they put a training out, they train the guys on it, and they send them out into the field and then they they mess it up. He's landscape company, right? And so he's he's all frustrated that his guys are you know only hitting about 60 maybe at best 80 percent of what they're supposed to do on that landscaping job but he did a training that morning isn't that good enough shouldn't that be good enough and so i just chimed in with a quick question as i asked him I was like well why don't you put down a uh, a little laydown yard next to your facility and so if you have a new new product that you're offering to these folks have them go out to your little laydown yard and do it out there and have the whole team watch them while he does it out there and then rotate and then rotate. Do your training that way. Now it might take more time. It's probably going to take you a full day to do that versus the 20 minutes to say, here's the drawing, go with it. But then you're getting 99% effectiveness. It's a lot better. You know, yeah, labor cost is high, but uh, retained customers are a lot more profitable. <laughs> um, so that's kind of the idea of the system, is the system enables you to do it. But we, we neglect the system a lot of the time in our QMS because um, it's, it's kind of boring. I mean, think about it. It's, it's really kind of boring. How many times do you want to watch a guy screw in a, bu- a bolt? Screw a nut to a bolt. How many times do you want to watch that? And then test it to see if he hit it to the right torque. I mean, that, that is just some boring mess. We don't really want to do that. We'd rather just say, hey, you did it good. All right, let's move on. Um, we, we'd rather have a, a training event like this where we bring everyone into a conference room and, and we talk about what we're doing and we put up the slideshow and then send everyone out and say, go do it. It, it feels good. Maybe even everyone in the room is chiming in, you know? You get that good interaction from the group. But then when they go back out, how much repetition have they had? Again, let's, let's go back to teaching a teen to drive. Imagine teaching your teen to drive using the same techniques that we use in our workplace. <laughs> that, that 20% number will go up to the 50 or 60% that I expected it to be. So I guess it is evidence that we do a a somewhat better job training teams to drive than than I thought. So if you're going to implement a quality management system, and we're not talking about just the quality management side, we're talking about the system side, what what are some aspects you need to consider that maybe you hadn't looked at before? That's a big one. That's a big one. I'll tell you right now, when I, when I do uh, group trainings, um, I, I hate to get a, a group that's more than 12 people. I hate a group more than 12 people. Is that the magic number? To me it is, but other folks might be a little different. But people tend to get quiet when there's too many folks in the room. So that 8 to 12, that is the ideal range to me. So that's, that's a big one. Um, but isn't it more efficient to pull all hundred people into you know the, the the shop and and even get up there with a microphone and, and talk to everyone about what's yeah. going on? It's way more efficient, right? Well, it takes less time, but it's a lot less effective, right? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. So so we got to keep that effectiveness in there with the efficiency. So we've all done uh, you know these different risk assessments, right? Well, when you do a risk assessment, what do you, you you're you're looking at? Well, how likely is this to go wrong? Okay, well, let's look let's at the same thing here. Because so much of this boils down to training and execution. The way we're handling it, how much, what's the likelihood that this will go well? I'm not asking, did you meet the requirements for your auditor? I am an ISO auditor. I do the third-party ISO audits. I see this all the time. This is why it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> um, <clears throat> is, yes, you met all the requirements to say I trained the guy. But um, how do you know that they're competent? I mean, really. How do you know they're competent? And how long do you need to give them? Which we already kind of have the answer here. If you if you put a new system into place, what's the minimum amount of time? It's probably going to take to be effective. It's like 66 days. sixty-six days. There you go. That is the likely minimum amount of time it's going to take to be effective. Because people got to make it a. They got to make it a habit. Because. If you think about it, animals have a much simpler brain than we do, right? So, but they can still walk. They can still hunt. They can still do all of these incredibly complex tasks. It's our human, our frontal cortex. It's this this big lobe in the front of our brain that allows us to make complex decisions, but it is incredibly slow, ineffective, and doubts itself frequently, doubts itself frequently so we mentioned about procedures right how long are y'all's procedures too long page count give me a page count how long some of y'all's procedures three or five pages that's usually pretty good you got like the front page it's the purpose and the scope and definitions and So of that, how much do people need to know that they're going to do repeatedly? Hardly any. Hardly any. We have to focus on the aspects of the job that aren't just for the final output of compliance. But we have to focus on those aspects of the job that are repeatable. What are the repeatable tasks? I mean, go back to what what we had in the first couple of slides there, right? Is performed over and over is excellence. So, if we have these critical tasks that need to be repeated over and over effectively where do you store that information how do you make it available to folks so that when they need that information it's there there's no right answer here but how do you make it available to folks when they need it could be could be I, uh, I, I'm i sorry? Some of the companies that I've been to that audited, they have them posted like for know, tasks that they mm-hmm. can do. They're mm-hmm. right at their station so they can always look at it. Yep. Nope, and, and I like that. I'll, I'll tell you, part of what, what I do for the business is I develop quality management uh, software. Um, I've got a, way more uh, Microsoft certifications than I do quality certifications. So you know, my first quality or first uh, computer shirt was in two thousand and one. So you would think that I'd be all about the computer solution, especially seeing as I sell the software for, for a living, um, design and develop the software, then sell it. Um, but they only have so much of a space in, in your day to day life. Because how long does it take to uh, to find that company site where all of the information is stored? It Takes time. And if they don't access it say, say you put it on your on their phone well maybe it's on page three of all of their icons right so now they got to remember where that is what's that icon look like You're throwing too many decisions in someone's face so yeah definitely i, I love the idea of putting the stuff at the point of use the other place that it should be maintained is in their noggin but not here in the front decision making part we're here in the back um, Learn skills, motor skills. That's why I never, never forget to ride a bike. It's like your brain just memorizes the motions, and you just stick with it, and it just sticks. Um, maybe if you could do tricks as a kid, can't do tricks as an adult. But the majority of it just sticks. Um, so that's another, you know, that's that's where it needs to be stored as well. Is we've got to get it off that paper and into kind of that rote, that rote memory. How'd you do? You do what? I didn't have any luck. I dropped the boiling <laughs> But it's so simple. No thanks left. It's so <laughs> simple. <laughs> it's so simple to do. So, how long do you think that would take you to figure it out? Just simple decisions. How long do you think that'd take you? About $100 worth at, uh, 66 days. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> so, probably take a few hours reasonably to figure it out. <clears throat> maybe some of y'all are a little little brighter than the others. Take you take you at least 30 minutes, probably. This kid did it in a minute. Less than a minute. Is he referencing a procedure to do that? No. He just did it enough times that he's good at it. That's where we gotta get the knowledge at our workplaces. So we gotta get that knowledge into our people's heads, which I'll be honest, goes against a lot of corporate management philosophy that. We should have everything documented so that we can bring anyone in here and teach them to do the job. This is true, but teaching them to do the job is the key. And so this kid's not referencing a procedure. It's all locked in his head, which is the most efficient and best place for it to be. All right. So that's it. That's it. Any questions? Any comments? Yeah, no? One, one thing. Yeah. Well, you talked about procedures and, and having them available and having them put and stuff like that. And one of the things that, that I've been in a couple of different places, and one of the places had a culture where it was like considered a sign of weakness unless it was in your head. And so people wouldn't reference a piece of paper or a document or something. Was and so that, that was the thing that we learned is like you had to kind of, kind of overcome that. Yeah, uh, well, it was interesting. That is, that it is. It's, you know, and that's other okay. thing is anything, anything, anything taken to an extreme is dangerous. Um, I was just yesterday a uh, oil and gas company in uh, downtown that I'm working with. Um, I was absolutely blown away at how little documentation they have i mean it is next to nothing on the flip side though most anyone i talk to in the facility tells me the same story so then the question is, is are they doing good are they doing bad by tonight's presentational standards i would say they're actually doing good when I go to do an audit, they're, they're of course, doing bad. <laughs> but again, any idea to an extreme is, is, is no good. Heck, I, I tell that to our, uh, our middle son all the time. I'm like, buddy, keep it in the middle because they <laughs> will get too excited. they will get too sad. And I'm like, nope, just keep it in the middle. You keep it in the middle. You'll probably do good. And But the, the best way for someone to follow that procedure is to have done it effectively and been measured on it so many times that they don't even have to think about it no more. So, and it got to the point that people didn't want to do it. And said, so, well, what do I have to do it? And I finally had to tell them, because I'm telling you. you have to- <laughs> That's so- so. Sometimes yeah, there's a good reason. Yeah. There's a good reason. Uh, you got something over here? Yes, Kyle. Um, you asked, how many pages do we typically have in procedures? Yeah. When you ask that, I'm thinking, well, we got procedures, we got work instructions, we got desktop mm-hmm. instructions. Yep. And so you she- got this tiered approach. Uh-huh. So does it make sense to have one having being heavier on detail and so forth than the other? If mm-hmm. the procedure is walking down and it says point to a work instruction, right, three, and so forth. Yep. Yes, the work instruction points to a desktop instruction. <laughs> yep. Make it more complicated. You know? <laughs> no. We, we can make it happen that way. You, you can. You can. I, I've uh, I've I've been guilty of doing it um, myself before. Um, the, the first time I put a system in place for my old company, I, I did very similar, similar there, because um, the first go around that I had is what I think most of us have have seen at some point in your career at least is you get this hundred page manual with everything in it that you need, but then it's impossible for anyone but the author to navigate the sucker, so that's no good. So that was the second method that I went to is fine, well we're going to tear it out. We're going to go uh, policies. Procedures and work instructions. And work instructions were divvied up a few different ways. And this was before I'd built any software, so I'm doing it still just on network file shares and Word docs. So the Word docs would hyperlink to another doc that it was referencing, and that would hyperlink to another doc that it was referencing. And that was fine to a point, but the way I think um, tends to tie more knots then uh, most people like to untie when they're trying to find stuff. So so I've run into the same same problem there. Um, so with that, I can't say that I necessarily have um, an easy solution, but it's definitely a problem that folks run into. But um, I, what I found works best is just running things as parallel as possible. So what I mean by that is your, your work instructions is, rather than segregating those possibly into different tiers of complexity, is it is simply just the how to do it. And then, you know, I talked about the, uh, the what and the why, right, versus, you know, that, the how. And so that was the idea that I ran with, is that our policies tell us effectively why. Our procedures tell us effectively the what with a little bit of why. You know, like you're going to have a purpose for a procedure. So I always insist people put a purpose line at the top. Like, why does this document exist? funny when you force people to put that purpose statement at the top of their procedures your procedure counts instantly cut in half because um, people kind of throw stuff out there that they we need to have this but and when you force them to put a purpose on it they, they consolidate and then the work instructions you were always my how so I don't know if that helps a whole lot but that was the, that was the only method that I've been able to find and the software that we, uh, we utilize it it tears it the exact same way how about the use of the checklist? Mm-hmm. So you were talking earlier, you'd like for them to have this procedure in their mind. Yes. But the checklist comes in to make sure that I'm I'm, I'm checking the box. Yep. Or having done all the steps here, if I need more detail on mm-hmm. how to do the step, then I go to the procedure right. or work instruction. And so what I, what I try to have folks do there is we take the work instruction, right? And so the work instruction can be either just a set work instruction maybe for this this widget or this process or maybe it's in the software application, click here, click there, or, you know, well here, well there. Um, so that's the work instruction level. Sometimes those work instructions may come straight from the uh, the job traveler, right? So they're still tiered the same. It's just telling you, you what to do. So what I insist folks do is that if you're going to have someone perform a check, 100% of the time you had better tell them the exact form to use to perform that check. And I've got one client that has been fighting me on this for a while because uh, there's a couple of folks there that uh, insist upon the idea of they could have a single checklist for everything. And uh, it, it took me about two weeks to realize this, even what they were they were going for, because it just looked so odd and bizarre. Um, so I always insist that they, they give the exact checklist. Um, <coughs> and... But what you can run into there, which I think is where, where you're going, is sometimes that one checklist, especially states for a, like a final inspection and maybe you've got several of the exact same type of part. Like I come from the gas turbine industry. So, you know, we would have the, the first row blades. These are the first blades that catch the uh, the hot gas path, right, to, to rotate the turbine around. Well, we might work on 20 different types of turbines. And out of those 20 different types of turbines, 12 of them are GE and all... All GE turbines have 92 first stage uh, or first row blades, right? They all have 92, so I can use the exact same inspection document for all 12 models of of those turbines. So that it can get a little tricky. To to your question, there is, well, if someone doesn't know how to complete this checklist, which work instruction do I tell them to go to? So that can be that can be a little little difficult there. The uh, the answer that I've had to folks in that scenario is to go to the Job Traveler and that Job Traveler should be the Bible for, for that project. I, when I, for a while, I was in charge of developing all of these checklists and the forms uh, at, at my old company, and I just put my foot down and said, everything's going to fit on one page. If it don't fit on one page, we're, we're going to... It clearly has a different purpose, which is kind of what you're looking at. So I'm gonna go with that different purpose. Like maybe some of some of the checks that they're finding, that maybe they put on like an in-process inspection checklist, but really doesn't need to be checked till final. So why are we cluttering up this in-process? Because people are gonna find an easy way out. If it gets too complex, they will find an easy way every time. so Kurt's comment. First comment too but I'm a firm believer in what gets measured gets done. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate his comment about all right so a <laughs> of now. But I was recently reading quality. Okay? And they're big into quality four Right. And they're talking digital is the name of the game. Okay. And so we're moving <clears throat> from paper <laughs> your phone or whatever the tape may be, and we're back to talking mm-hmm. about you mm-hmm. management mm-hmm. and so-and-so, mm-hmm. but I think the key is, as we go in that direction, that those, let's, let's get it right down to where you know, the rubber meets the road, the operator, if you will, okay, mm-hmm. he's got to be the man hitting the checklist, right? Uh-huh. But I think the other big portion of it is that when things are getting done right, okay, that those people need to be recognized that yeah, that in this week or in this month, and here's back, it does it every day. it? Um, the adhesives you put on the metals and turbans and everything like mm-hmm. that. Is that those people Respected, that they're actually doing part of the quality job. Okay. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that's the key. You know, I'm not trying to get Jim out of a job. I'm saying <laughs> yeah, he can do his audits or whatever. <laughs> but um, I think that's important to get that feedback to those people that are actually doing the work. I because couldn't agree more. What? Out of the thousand pieces that you inspected in the month of March, in the month of March, that 100, we have had no returns. So- and so- and I mean, that, that, that's important as opposed to uh, just checking the list off of Right. Well, yeah. I love the distinction you just made. The distinction you made wasn't, you know, hey, you found your quota of nonconformities or, hey, look, our workers had X number, you know, X percentage conforming every time. But the distinction you made was of everything you inspected, nothing failed, which means that inspector could have and likely did find problems, did reject things, which is great and nothing that left his yeah. department failed. I love that. Hey, yeah. yeah, you talk about quality 4.0. I I have to laugh every time I see it cuz again, <laughs> like I am in both worlds, right? So I'm absolutely in both worlds here. Yeah. You, I, you, I wasn't no, 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 no. <laughs> I was reading it, yeah. Well, it's trying to receive I, it all gone. Really? We're well, going. Well, I have going tried on. to put um, digital calipers, just calipers, like the simplest measuring device possible. Digital calipers in place. What a stinking nightmare! My gosh, because then you got to make sure that's connecting to the device that's going to make sure that the device is going to is charged. You don't have to worry about a pencil not being charged. Just pull out a yeah, pocket knife right. and whittle it down. You're good. Mm-hmm. Um, There's all sorts of things, and we had when uh, we put those out. I mean. Don't get me wrong, the accuracy of the numbers is perfect, assuming the guy knows how to use it, which that's a whole other question. Um, But we spent like 25% more time completing inspections because we couldn't get the equipment to work. The guy would go too far away from the computer, and the, the signal was no good. Just all sorts of weird little goofy stuff that people don't consider. In larger manufacturing plants where things are highly standardized, makes sense. And job shops, forget it. Well, you to run into a lot, too, is not quite so much anymore, but when I was in manufacturing, I was trying to change the processes. Yeah. I kept hearing, well, this is the way we've been doing it for 20 years. Why <laughs> do I have to change now? Yeah. Yeah, well, because
1: I yeah. Yeah.
0: Because the government says so. Yeah. <laughs> because it's a bad way of doing things. Yeah. No, I I uh, I agree. I had one guy ask me that uh, one time, and he he you know he'd been he'd been doing this stuff you know for, for decades, and he's getting all mad at me for changing the <laughs> way you are doing stuff. And he's like, why do I have to change? We've always done it. He said, hey, can you pull out your cell phone for me? He pulled out a cell phone. I said, the world changed. <laughs> He didn't have nothing to say. He was mad at me, but he had nothing to say. Yeah. <laughs> the the old-timers are the worst ones. Can be. They're big, because they're not computer-literate, and they don't like change. No, and that's another thing that frustrates me with trying to force technology, yeah. which I know has nothing to do with what we're talking about today to some degree, but force the technology on the workplace is... It's hard to get folks to adapt to it. And if you're going to try to get folks to adapt to it, if you throw a piece of technology out there and it's not working perfectly, instant, you just lost it. You lost the game. I mean, you don't get a second chance. You don't get a second chance with the not software deployment. I'm sorry? There's no, credibility. no, none. None at all. Because they know that when they pull out their caliper and write down their number, they're good. Anything else? Before I wrap it up, I gotta say, I really appreciated this. Y'all have no idea how much I enjoy this stuff. I just love talking to people about this, uh, these topics. So it's uh, it's a blast for me. And definitely thank you for, uh, for having me out and uh, you know, Merry Christmas to everyone. Thank you.